0: So, my last message. My last opportunity to be able to uh, share some thoughts with you and to unpack something from scripture together. And uh, today is also the last uh, message in our series that we've been doing called Jesus's Greatest Hits. I mentioned at the beginning of this series uh, that when I was kind of thinking about how I wanted to finish up, uh, I wanted us to come back to Jesus and to be able to focus on what I think are some of Jesus's most powerful and transformative teachings and some of the things that Jesus said that have had the greatest impact on me. But it was a huge question for me as I planned that series out to think through, what do I say in my final message? Like, what are the last words that Jesus would want me to share with all of us together? And so I hope it doesn't come as a massive surprise that my first thought was, go to the source. What would Jesus say? (laughs) And what did Jesus say? So where did Jesus end up landing with some of his final words and final thoughts for his disciples, his last instructions for them? That seems like a really great place to be able to dig in. But more than that, I believe that these verses that we are going to unpack today are really at the core of what it means to be church, that in every church that I've been in, uh, in every ministry that I've been involved in, uh, one place or another, we've ended up landing on the recognition that this is our mandate, this is our focus as churches, this is what Jesus calls us to do. So hopefully on your way in you received a copy of our teaching notes uh, so you can jot things down as we make our way through today's message. And if you have your Bible with you, you can open up to Matthew chapter 28 uh, because that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. The context for uh, the verses that we're going to look at uh, is that the, the disciples have had a little bit of a roller coaster ride over the last little while. So uh, we think back to Jesus' final week and all of the emotion and confusion about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and being hailed and greeted as the King and how exciting that all was and this anticipation that Jesus was going to finally take his place as the Messiah who was going to do some pretty amazing stuff. And then we know as the week rolls on that ultimately that leads to Jesus' death on the cross. And as we often focus on at Easter time, we recognise that the disciples had no clue of what was going to come after that. And so for them, the events of what we call Good Friday and then Easter Saturday were very dark times as they watched Jesus die and watched Jesus buried in the tomb and watched the stone rolled in front of it. And for all of them, their thought was, that's it. All of this time that I've invested in this, all of these things that I thought were going to happen have come to nothing. That's it. It's all over. Now we then know that the next day on Easter Sunday, what ended up happening? Jesus rose, his resurrection happened, and so imagine again for the disciples this roller coaster that they're on. Now Jesus is alive, and so you've got a bit of catching up to be able to do. And we know that Jesus then spent a bunch of time with his disciples. And I'm always fascinated, and I wish that we had more, of what they talked about during those times. What sorts of things do you think that the disciples would have been asking Jesus during those days that they had together? What sorts of things would Jesus have told them? What sorts of things would Jesus have helped them to be able to understand in new ways? Well, eventually that time comes to a close, and that's where we pick things up today in Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse 16. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. This is honestly one of my favourite passages in all of the Bible, because I find it absolutely staggering to think about what we're told here. These disciples, some of whom have spent three years with Jesus, following him around, listening to his teaching seeing him do amazing miracles, seeing him heal people, all of these astounding things that they've seen Jesus do. And then, as I said, going through Jesus' death and then his resurrection and then spending time with him, recognising, no, no, he's genuinely here. He has come back to life. And now they're standing on a mountain with Jesus in front of them. And yet some of them are like, "Eh, I don't know. Is it? Is it Jesus? Message translation says some of them weren't sure whether to give themselves fully, to worship of Jesus. And the question for me is, what else do you need? Like, what else would it have taken for them to say, yes, I am rock-solidly confident that this is Jesus who's in front of me? What else did these disciples need? Now, as a quick side note, part of why I think these are an important set of verses is because these are great examples of what verses you would leave out of the Bible if you were trying to manipulate things, If the people who wrote the books of the Bible, so Matthew, who we believe wrote this book, was deliberately had a hidden agenda, or the people who decided which books would be included in the Bible and which wouldn't had a hidden agenda, you wouldn't include this. You would say all of the disciples were 100% convinced that Jesus was the Son of God and the Messiah, and they were completely on board with him and excited to follow him. You wouldn't say some of them doubted. It's a good reminder about why it is that we can trust that these are the first-hand accounts of the people who wrote them. But the main reason I love these verses is that it reminds us that it's okay for us to have doubts. It's okay for us to struggle. It's okay for us to wrestle with things. Doubt doesn't disqualify us from being able to follow Jesus. None of us that I'm aware of have had the same experiences that the disciples had of the deep encounters with Jesus physically in front of them. And so if it's okay for them to have some doubts, I'm pretty sure it's okay for us to have some doubts as well. Jesus still accepts the disciples. Jesus still loves the disciples. And Jesus still gives them this set of instructions. And so we can be confident that Jesus still loves us, Jesus still accepts us, and Jesus gives us these same instructions to follow as well. In verse 18... Jesus comes to his disciples and tells them, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. These verses are well known to us as what's called the Great Commission. And that's very, very helpful for us to understand because when we think about something being commissioned or someone being given a commission, we think about the reality of them being given a mission briefing or a set of marching orders or this is what you're being set apart to do. These are the key things for you to be able to focus on. So Jesus is giving this commission to us to move forward. But we can pull that apart and recognise it is a co-mission. It's not something that we have to do on our own. This is something that we do in partnership with each other And most importantly, in partnership with Jesus. And there are lots and lots of different ways of being able to unpack that. But this is the core of what Jesus shares, which, as I said, I think are the most important things for any church to focus on. First of all, it's important for us to follow Jesus. Jesus says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And that gives us so much confidence because it's not about our authority it's not about our power, it's not about our strength, it's all about Jesus. It's not about us trying to come up with our own set of instructions and what do we need to do and come up with our own plans. It's all about what Jesus tells us to do and following him obediently. We've articulated that as being Jesus-centred, that as a church we've said that's the most important thing for us to focus on is Jesus. We center everything that we do on him. We recognize that he is the one with all authority and all power. He is the one who shows us what God is like, and so we follow him. But Jesus then says that our response to recognizing what his authority is is to make disciples. And we've spent a lot of time over the years talking about the reality that disciples are apprentices. And we've contrasted that with someone who's a student who just sits in a classroom trying to write down everything that they possibly can so that they hope they can remember it so they can pass the test when the exam comes. That's very different to an apprentice who learns things so that they can put them into practice. An apprentice is always thinking, how do I apply this? An apprentice also recognise that it takes a long time for them to get good at their craft. And so we understand that discipleship is apprenticeship to Jesus. It's not just about learning stuff intellectually, it's about how we put those things into practice in our lives. It's not about us being perfect, but simply about taking our next steps in our walk with Jesus, and knowing there's always more next steps, and more next steps, and more next steps. And my hope and my prayer is that during my time here, we have taken next steps in our walk with Jesus. That many of you would be able to say, yes, as I look back five and a half years ago, or whenever it is that you joined our church family, that you would be able to say, yes, I have definitely taken some next steps in my walk with Jesus. I would say that I am closer to Jesus than I was, that I'm more authentically following Jesus than I was, that I'm more Jesus-y than I was when I first started. I know I can say that, that I've grown, and I hope that you can say that as well. That's our focus as a church. That's always been our focus That's what continues to be our focus. Make disciples, make apprentices of Jesus. But fortunately, Jesus gives us some very clear instructions about exactly what that looks like. And he starts by saying, go and make disciples. Which is a good reminder to us that the process of making disciples is not about us coming to one place and just kind of turning our chairs in and facing each other and having a holy huddle. Our focus is on going, inviting others encouraging others to encounter Jesus, to learn about Jesus, to discover Jesus. We can't skip that part. A key element of being a disciple, a follower, an apprentice of Jesus is that we go, that we invite, that we share with others. But as happens so often with Jesus' teaching, he's so clever because it doesn't just mean physically go. You can also understand what what he's saying here is, as you go, make disciples. There's an element of recognising that it's as we go and live our lives that discipleship happens. As we're on the journey, as we live, as we work, as we eat, as we play, as we do all the different things that we do, discipleship, apprenticeship happens. If it's true, and we'll come back to this in a moment, that there isn't a time when Jesus isn't present with us And that means there isn't a time when Jesus isn't at work in our lives and around our lives. And so as we go, every moment of every day is an opportunity for us to unpack what it means to take our next steps in our walk with Jesus and to invite others to do the same. So discipleship, first of all, is about going. But Jesus also says that discipleship is about baptising. And so we believe that when someone makes a decision to say, yes, I'm in, I want to be an apprentice of Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, that baptism is a really, really key next step for people to take. It's a beautiful, symbolic thing that we do, where people go under the water, symbolic of being completely washed clean, to recognise that Jesus gives us a fresh start, that everything that we've done, everything we're going to do, has been forgiven by him, and we have the chance to start again. But there's also this beautiful symbolism of going under the water and dying to ourselves and saying, I'm not going to live my way anymore. When I come back out of the water, I'm symbolically saying, Jesus, you are the leader and the Lord of my life, and I want to follow you. And Jesus says that we baptise people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there's lots of different ways of unpacking why that's important. But one of the key things is because it reminds us that as we're baptized We're baptised into the family of God, that God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit, family already. And so as we get baptised, we're immersed, we're welcomed, we're accepted and embraced into the spiritual family of God. That's a huge step. It's amazing to recognise. God accepts us and loves us fully and we're embraced. The Father, Son and Holy Spirit open up their circle and welcome us in. So I'm really, really grateful for the privilege that it's been to be able to baptise some of you during my time here at Brooklyn Park. It is one of the most significant things that I have always valued and appreciated about being able to do. And so thank you for the honour that it's been to be able to do that. But we also recognise that many of you have made a decision to recommit to your baptism by choosing to become members here as well. And a part of membership is us saying, this is my spiritual family. This is the decision to sink my roots down here and so I'm effectively choosing to recommit to this decision to follow Jesus but to do that in this place. And so I'm really, really grateful for all of the opportunities that I've had to be able to welcome you on behalf of our church family into membership as a part of our church. So Jesus says discipleship is about going, it's about baptising and remembering what Jesus has done but being able to commit to being a part of the family and living the way that he calls us to. And then he says, to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. Again, following Jesus is not just about learning, but it's about obedience. Stopping and listening to Jesus, saying, what is it that you're saying to me? And then putting that into practice. Doing what he asks us to do. The challenge is that Jesus says, teach them to obey all of my commands and I don't know about you, but when I think about everything that's contained in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, I'm like, man, that's a lot of stuff to remember. How on earth am I supposed to obey all of those things? That's why what we talked about last week is so important. Because what did we say Jesus said was the most important thing to focus on? Love God, love each other and love yourselves. And we said last week that Jesus told us everything else about what it means to follow him is wrapped up in those three things. If we love God, love each other and love ourselves the way that he calls us to, then we will live out all of his commands. So discipleship, as I've said, is not about information, it's about application. Putting into practice our obedience to choose to live out what Jesus has called us to do. And we believe that when people make a decision to say, yes, I choose to follow Jesus in an environment where I recognise that I'm a part of Jesus' spiritual family... That transformation happens, that people's lives are changed and transformed as we put into practice what Jesus calls us to be able to do. So that's how we've defined what discipleship looks like, the core of who we are as a church. And Jesus finishes by saying, be sure of this, I will be with you always. This is a great reminder that we do all of this in partnership with Jesus. We're not just kind of bumbling along, hoping that we get it right, hoping that we're doing enough. We're not alone. We're not abandoned by Jesus to just go and do this stuff. Jesus is with us 100% of the time. We get to walk and work with Jesus in partnership with him. Always. That never changes. It's not going to change. It's always there for us. So that's what Jesus' instructions were for his first followers. And that's what the early church put into practice. That's why they were able to have the incredible impact that they were able to have. And over the centuries, when the church has been at its best, that's been the core of what we have focused on together. And I hope that over these last five and a half years, you know that that's what I've tried to help us focus on as a church community as well. At the core of everything that we've tried to do has always been about following Jesus' instructions to make disciples. And my prayer for you as we move forward into this new chapter and this new season is that you would recognise that none of that changes. Just because I move out of my role, that mandate that Jesus gives is still exactly the same. The call to follow Jesus and make disciples doesn't change one bit tomorrow or next week. Or next month. And so I'll be praying that you can continue to discover what it means to make disciples as a church family in the days and weeks and months ahead. But I want to give you an opportunity to reflect on what that actually looks like for you. As we head into this week and as we head into this new season together, how can I recommit to the great co mission? What does it look like for you to take Jesus' words seriously and to say, I want to commit? to be a part of this great commission that you've given us, this great commission that we get to do together. What's one thing that you can commit to as you head into this week that will help us to continue to focus on fulfilling the great commission? Take some time to reflect. You can jot some thoughts down on your piece of paper or chat with the person next year, and then we'll come back together and we'll pray and transition across the communion. Let's pray. Jesus, we declare that you are the Lord and the leader of our lives, the Lord and the leader of our church, that all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to you. And so we're grateful that we get to follow you. We're grateful that even though you have been given all authority, you show us what it looks like to hold that in such a beautiful, servant-hearted, surrendered way, and that as we choose to follow you, we don't do it in some fear-filled way, but we do it with confidence in who you are and what you say about us and what you call us to do. We thank you that your focus while you were here was on making disciples, that you chose a bunch of people who were the least likely, people who were often on the fringes of society, People who, if you were going to start something, would probably be a fair way down the list. And yet you saw in them what only you can see in people. And you walked with them, and you journeyed with them, and even in the midst of their doubts and their struggles and their challenges, you helped them to see who you were and what you were capable of doing. And we thank you that because of that, they changed the world, as they adopted what you called them to do, to live out as your disciples, and to go and do that with others that they created so many different people who also chose to do the same. Thank you that that's been true for centuries, that over and over, generation after generation after generation, people have embraced this mandate to continue to follow you and to make disciples. We thank you for the privilege that it's been to be able to do that together over these last five and a half years. And we thank you that tomorrow and next week and next month, none of that changes that your mandate to all of us who are a part of all of your churches is to continue to follow you and to make disciples. And so I pray that you would give us a sense of confidence in what you've done for us, that you would remind us that each of us have a role to play in that as we go, as we take our next steps with you and as we encourage others to encounter and discover you. In your name we pray. Amen.